Kua Jenin. Now, is it? It's Kua Jenin, not Jenin Kua. It's Kua Jenhan. Kua Jenhan. Yeah, that's it. Because you, because Kua is your last name. Yeah, Kua is my surname, but I have a very strange name even for uh, Malaysian or Chinese people because usually Chinese people have three syllables or like it's name space name space name. Mine is just name space name name. So that's that's a bit different. So because uh, Chinese last names go first. But yeah, most of the time actually. Right, and and your last name actually means gravy. Yeah, no, my yeah, my surname means gravy. So Kua actually means gravy. So you're you're Jenhen gravy. Yeah, Chinese. <laughs> and at, well, one time, like uh, uh, some um, comedy producers actually tried to brand me as like the funniest gravy in town. <laughs> That's not cool. Uh, maybe one day you'll have your own like gravy company. Maybe, maybe. But uh, I mean, like comedians, I mean, and food, they don't really go well. I mean, like, because you're known to be funny. And the first association people are going to make is like, hey, does this gravy taste funny too? And well, you know that guy, Larry the Cable Guy? Yeah. In the United States? He's got his own line of food. He's got his own lasagna. Really? Which is funny because he had like a poop lasagna joke. <laughs> and uh, he's got his own chicken. It's like this, like, uh, frozen foods. He's got his own line of foods now. Wow. Yeah. With his really cool. picture on it and stuff. So. I actually have my own ice cream. Yeah? Yeah, uh, an ice cream company uh, locally made a Kua Jenhan flavor. What, they just saw you perform and they thought... Yeah, they, they liked um, they, they liked collaborating and stuff with... Um, and they thought... They, they, called, they named me their favorite comedian. So they said, we want to make a Kua Jenhan flavor. I'm like, cool, man, let's do it. You're on fire right now. That's quite cool. And uh, it was, it's peanut butter, jelly, and chunky chocolate, chocolate brownies. Wow. Well, so where can, I can just find it in stores here in Kuala I Lumpur? Think, uh, not all stalls. Uh, mostly cafes and stuff. Um, they're a bit of like an indie ice cream maker kind of thing. So yeah, most most cafes actually. So they're gonna run it for six weeks and see how it goes. If people like it, they're just gonna have it there forever. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what if um, it doesn't work out? Are you gonna be hurt? No, I mean I've I've tasted it. It's nice. <laughs> you like, oh oh so they let you approve the flavor? Yeah, they do. I mean they let me pick the flavor. But the funny thing was, um, I, I I already had my own flavor. Like I had these things which I like, and um, this these two girls, May and Evie. Evie is the girl that's in charge of operations, so she does the flavoring and stuff for like that. And she didn't know that I picked my flavor. So she came to the meeting and she looked at me and said, okay, I'm going to figure out a flavor for you. And she looks at me and she goes, how do you feel about mac and cheese? I'm like, what? Mac and cheese? The two, the two fattest food combined and you want to put it in an ice cream? That's what you see when you see me? So thankfully, it's not that. It's, it's peanut butter jelly and chunky chocolate brown. That would be disgusting, a mac and cheese. I know, cream. I know. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that you actually went to an ice cream company and had meetings about, about your flavor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was quite cool. And, and uh, I kind of prank them in a sense they say oh my god that sounds so nice how do you come up with the idea and I say well I'm a comedian and this morning and we are very observant to things so this morning I was in the toilet and, and they were like whoa 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 but luckily they, they made it anyways now we met uh, when I was performing here in KL three years ago yeah three years ago and uh, you know I, 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 I fell in love with you uh, as a comedian I mean you're really hilarious and you represent the uh, the, the, the Chinese uh ethnic mix of the comedy scene. No, I, I remember three years ago, uh, the first time I saw you was at a Time Out KL Comedy Thursday. And I was supposed, and it was an open mic place, you know, like, all the amateurs are there, and I'm there. And I was supposed to headline that night. And then in comes Mr. Tom Rhodes. <laughs> and then they go like, we're going to let Tom perform for five minutes before you. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, the international comic before me. And Tom, Mr. Tom Rhodes goes on for 25 minutes. <laughs> I was like, sh like shaking, shaking my legs. But... I think it was because of that, and and uh, and then you did something that no comic here has ever done before. You came up to me and you said, "I'm sorry, I was having a good time," so I went on. I was like, "Wow, I never knew apologies existed in the in the comedy world." Wow, yeah, I went. Cool. Five, I was supposed to do twenty. I went five over. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's uh, that was nice. I mean, like, I destroyed that room. That that timeout comedy I know, night I was. Did, I was picking up the the bits and pieces. Do they still do that timeout comedy? Yeah, they do. They do, and they moved to a bigger location now, actually. So previously it was about 300 people, now they, they can house about 400. You did great that night, and you were what? How long have you been on comedy at that point? Like one or two years? Uh, 2010? Yeah. Uh, that's that one year. I've done comedy yeah. for one year. Yeah, and you followed a, 
of visiting foreign headlining. I know it was the scariest, uh, one of the scariest experiences I've had. You didn't look scared. You did great. <laughs> you know, we kind of look scared, right? <laughs> and I mean, and y your material is very clean. Oh yeah. Um, actually, I, I are you am, still like totally clean? Yes, I am. I am. And a lot of people ask me, "How do you do it?" And you never talk about sex. You never. No, but the 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 fact is, it's not by choice. It's just who I am. Like, when it comes to politics, religion, and sex, right, these are the big three things that corporates were like, oh, better not do any of this. But it's not that I choose not to. It's like, I'm 20-something. I'm what do I know about politics now? I don't, I don't know much. And I'm like, I'm 20-something, right? Religion, it's not, it's not time for me yet. I just live free and die hard. And I'm a 20-something Chinese boy. What do I know about sex? So, you know, don't comment on stuff you don't know. <laughs> Just, that's how I explain it. And like, hey, it makes sense. Well, the stuff I loved about your material was, you know, you do a lot of really funny stuff about Chinese people. And I think, I don't know um, uh, if, I don't know if it's a perception people have that, um, I, I don't, I, I don't, how many funny Chinese comedians are there in the world? And you're Chinese, you're, you're Malay, you're from Malaysia. Yeah. And you're Chinese, and oh my God, that stuff like you did about the um, uh, who, what, why, where, <laughs> those, were, those were all Chinese names. Oh yeah, As I said, basically I said that uh, everything a Chinese person say, it's a question, right? Wrong, man? You know, like, and who, what, where, when, why, how are all Chinese names. Somewhere in the south of China is the teacher giving homework. Who, what, where, when, why, how? And they all sound Chinese. I, I don't think uh, I do a lot of Chinese jokes. It's just that... Um, that's that's. I grew up in a Chinese family, and, and in Malaysia, the strange thing is, uh, or not not so strange, is that the locals come out to watch comedy shows, and they want to hear about the races here, Malay, Chinese, and Indian. So, uh, coming from that that uh, position, then I guess I give them what they want, right? But I but one thing we like, let's say to to Singapore, who is a neighboring country, Singapore's audience are expats. And the comics there, they get to practice international material. They grow up in that environment. But yeah. So it's different. That's something I wish I could do. Well, why don't you do more sets in Singapore? Yes, I do do more international material. It's a four-hour drive, right? Yeah, four-hour drive. Yeah, and there's a lot of great uh, comedy rooms there. There, there, there is. There's one called Comedy Masala. Comedy Masala. Oh, yeah. my God. That's like the Time Out gig. It's yeah. packed. And that's like uh, dark-skinned local people. I loved Kuala Lumpur because it's not expatriates in the audience and you got you know Asian and dark-skinned local people and you got uh, you know the Malaysian Muslim comedians going on and then the Indian yeah. Hindus going on and then you know you represent a, a huge identity here that's uh, that's cool actually in in, in Malaysia uh, we have something called Mama stalls Mama stalls are like this coffee shops that open 24 hours and we have that everywhere and that's where people go to discuss current affairs, discuss things. It's just, I, I always believe that every table at a mama stall is a comedy club on its own. It's just the difference is that I, I stood up, tell jokes, and make some money. So <laughs> that's the Chinese side of me, I guess. Well, and I loved it. When I was here, you took me around the city. You showed me where you went to school. Yeah. And uh, I guess where you grew up, basically. Yeah. And like by, in Chinatown. In Chinatown, yeah. You grew up in Chinatown in Kuala Lumpur. That's just a coincidence. I mean, my school was there. Right. Yeah, but actually, I don't. I can't speak Chinese. Not. I'm. I'm not fluent in Chinese. Think what a massive market you're missing. Out. I know. I know. <laughs> you should be working on that. Jackie Chan is getting old, buddy. Yeah, but the difference is, uh, our market here is so segregated in the sense that there's the Chinese market, there's the Malay market, and there's the urban market. And the urban market is where uh, I perform. Uh, who I perform for. And it's the smallest market. The Malay market and the Chinese market, they are the people who come up in, with banners and like they make like LED light signs for you like, oh my god, I love you, and stuff like that. But they are not used to paying for shows. They want it for free. Yeah, it's because they're, they're the celebrities in, in those markets, they, they appear in shopping malls, they appear in like uh, festivals and stuff, and, and most of the time this, are, this is free. It's the urban market, like, cause a few a few Malay comedians um, tried doing stand up and they were, they were very afraid because they did not know how much to charge. They have never charged anyone before for to watch them. So well, then the, the the comedy scene is still is still pretty uh, new here. I mean, it's less than ten years old. It's very new. But my perception was that the audiences were really into it, and they're really young, 
yeah. and they're multi-ethnic, and they're also very well educated. So yeah, they're so they're not like they're not dumb audiences. You yeah, can really way, talk about smart things. Like you were doing a lot of language jokes. Yeah, and they they're very hungry for new material all the time. So um, the the challenge I face here is that back then, three years ago, there was only probably four or five uh, open micers, four or five open micers, and and we would have to perform every month. And the pool of audience was still small then. So our challenge was every month new material, every month new material. So we don't get the practice, we don't get to practice our stuff as much. But now the audience is growing, uh, and, it's, and the nice thing is they're starting to understand that actually the only way we can practice is to perform. So they, they are okay with that now. Well, I remember the thing that the other comedian said about you was, oh, uh, Jenin's this young guy, and he's great because he brings new material every week. So are you still turning over new material every week? Uh, not every week, but um, I, try to, I try to do new material every... Um, I mean, I, I keep writing. I write all the time. It's just something, and this is very naive as a comedian. It's just that I feel bad for maybe the 10 people in the audience who have seen this, this uh, set before, so I try to change it up, change it up sometimes. Well, the thing that you have going for you that I like, and it's, I, I think I had it also when I was young, and the, the um, it, you, you know, you're young and you're really enthusiastic and you love comedy, so your heart's in it and you really, uh, you know, you love it and you're looking for jokes everywhere. I think comedy must start from the heart. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a job where passion must come first. Because I've seen, uh, now that last time there was only one open mic a month. Now there's at least 10 shows a, a month here when I go and watch this show and some of the, the young guys the reason they're trying comedy is because they want to be famous right and, and they don't last very long because you shouldn't uh, that's not how you do it you know it must come from a, a place uh, it must come from the heart basically I think it's like you know I mean <clears throat> if you're an athlete or a musician or a comedian if your heart's not in it you're never going to be that great yeah uh, or you won't have a lasting career what uh, <clears throat> what are some of your best jokes that you're you're doing now? Some of the best jokes. Um, well, the who, what, where, when, why, how is a, is a crowd favorite. Um, I also have jokes about how uh, in Malaysia now there's a lot of um, cafes that are mushrooming, and they're all they they all try to be different. They try to be like, and there's this place, there's this French place in in Bangsa that's called Yeast. Like what a name for, for for a restaurant yeast, and the signboard is yellow in color. It's like it's not appetizing at all, and it's called and they market it as a as a boulangerie. I'm like, what's a boulangerie? Do you know? Cause I don't. And then it's it's a bakery. So what makes your bread different? So that my jokes about what makes your bread different is like just the accent. Like <laughs> what is it? So I, I think um, things like that and how um, there's a lot of because uh, Malaysian we we are a country that loves to eat. That's that's food twenty four hours. The food here is incredible. Yeah, and so we go we go by food trends, and now the trend is is a Japanese ramen. So there's ramen shops everywhere, and and the, the moment you and they try to give you the, the whole Japanese ramen shop feel in Japan. So the moment you enter, and they're like They start shouting at you, right? And and I ask like, what are you shouting about? And they go like, I don't know. My boss asked me to shout. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be authentic Japanese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, that's that's some of the newer stuff that I, I wrote, and I also wrote a. Ah, I just performed uh, my my solo show, and it was uh, my first time performing for an hour. So that's um. What was it about? It was about my late father. He he passed away three years ago, and the show is called like this, like that. So it's it's basically it's like why is Jen Han like this? Maybe he's like that. So it's a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a show about fathers, and that was quite. Uh, it's quite a cool show. It's a weird show because uh, in the whole show, I talk about fathers and, and their, their, their habits. Like, for example, like my, my dad and I think a lot of dad, they, they would assume that they're the best drivers in the house, right? And they would call out things when it, while driving that only make sense to them. Like, they'd be driving and they go like, oh, a lot of trees. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> so, so for that, and I, I, it was a very bizarre show for me <coughs> because... Uh, towards the end of the show, I describe how how um, he passed away because when he passed away, I wasn't even mm -hmm. as in I mean he had he had a heart attack and I wasn't even there. I was performing on stage and he 
um, felt a pain in his chest and told my sister at home. My sister just learned to drive and he said, take me to the hospital now. And he directed her all the way to the hospital. Right before he gets out of the car and collapses, he tells my sister, don't tell Koko. Koko basically is brother in Chinese. He said, don't tell your brother. And he collapsed. And I did not find out until the next day. And I get a call and my cousin says, what's the story? And I'm like, what do you mean? And says, your dad's in the hospital. I call home. And then true enough, like my sister said, yeah, he said not to tell you. So I, I, I flew home and I, and I saw him myself. So that, that was a, a, maybe a sad moment in, in the show. And it was very scary because I could hear people sniffling and, and, and like, you know, and, and some, some were sobbing and stuff. But I, I knew, I expected it, uh, but it, I didn't want it to be sad, sad, you know. So I, I put in jokes in between as tension breakers and stuff. I was very concerned um, for that show because I did not want to come across as uh, as this is a self-indulgent show. It's not. I, I didn't want that. So thankfully it worked out well. So people laugh, people cry, they laugh again and then they had Kua Jen Han ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, right? <laughs> what are the best qualities you got from your father? Well, I think um, we... We both grew up, uh, he's, he's, basically we share a very typical Chinese father and son relationship, meaning if I did something wrong, he would scold me. If I did something right, he would also scold me because I could have done it sooner. That's what we always <laughs> And uh, we were both very quiet people. Like, it's ironic that, I'm, or maybe, maybe not so much that I perform on stage and I talk non-stop. But when I'm at home, I hardly say a single word. And, that's the, and he was like that as well. He was a very quiet person. He has only ever come to one of my shows. And, and the funny story was he was the most reluctant to come. Because uh, I remember it was, uh, it, was, it was on a Sunday. And on Saturday, I asked him, I said, are you coming? He says, I don't think so. I'm like, why not? The whole family is going. And he says, if everybody is going to go, who's, look, who's looking after the dog? <laughs> that was what my dad said. <laughs> Eventually, he came and watched. Uh, and then, and then uh, after the show, he only had one thing to say. He said, why is it so expensive to see you talk? Wow. That's <laughs> my dad. <laughs> but uh, he was very proud of me because when after he passed away, it was time to clear his stuff. And, and he has this uh, drawer that, is, that always, it's always locked. And every guy has this, right? So we unlocked this drawer. And in there were mainly three things. Uh, one was um, uh, magazines that I treasure a lot now. And some of them were confiscated from me anyways. And then there were a lot of candy. They were like dirty magazines. Yeah. They were. That's and, fantastic. And like... And like um, Candies and junk food because he was a diabetic, so this was his secret stash <coughs> of like candies. But under the magazine and the and the candies were a stack of my posters, like the shows that he didn't even come to. Like he kept them in there. Like I don't know where he got them. Maybe he stole them from my room or something. But it it was it was all there. So and and at the wake where his friends came and visit and his friends uh, he, and he was uh, he was retired so he would go to the markets in the morning so his market friends came came for the wake and and they were like boy you know like your dad always brings your poster to the market and tell everyone that's his son and he always asks us like I don't understand how my son can be so quiet but perform so well wow yeah I only found out after he passed away like it's a typical um uh, I guess Asian dad thing where it's like. I'm not going to tell you how good you are. But I then realized... Why are Asian dads so hard on their children? I don't know. I don't know. It's a, <coughs> it's a funny thing. Like, my parents, uh, when I was younger, my mom would, would bring me out to, like, gatherings and stuff, and she would see her friend, and her friend, uh, her friend's daughter is there, and, and the, the mom, my friend, my, sorry, my mom's friend would then say, wow, Jen Han is, is such a big boy now. He looks so handsome and stuff. And mom would go, no, he's a stupid boy. I mean, he's, he's your so, mom would say that? Like, he's so lazy. <laughs> I mean, your daughter is much more <coughs> handsome than my son. And I'll be very hurt because she was really ugly. You know? <laughs> but Asian parents would do that. They're like, they're, they're not compare, but they don't like, uh, they prefer to kind of say that their own child is, no, no, my, my child is not great. Your child is the best. To make other people's kids feel better. Yeah. Uh, That's my dad, interesting. The second show I did, my dad didn't come for this. Uh, he, I was getting ready, ready to go to the show. And uh, he's, he then walked past me and said, you've got show tonight. I said, yeah. I said, there's a show tonight. And he says, got people come? He asked. I said, tonight sold out. And he goes, not bad. And he walks away. That was, that was probably the only compliment he's ever gave me. And, and I realized that after all this, that the reason why he was so reluctant to come was he was just afraid to see his son fail. Because he, he didn't know if, if, if I could do it or not, right? So I think that that's probably why. Wow. What kind of work did your father do? Uh, he, was, uh, he was a sales, uh, he was like a marketing person before 
he retired and he retired very very early on uh, and I talk in the show I talk about how I, I'm really hopeless with, with relationships and I look to how my parents met and stuff and he was a salesman and he basically he had all the moves to, to put on my mom because he did all his sales pitches and stuff and yeah he was a, a good manipulator of the ah, he was <coughs> yeah. he was yeah. Was your dad funny at all, or he was just quiet all the time? Uh, he was he um, he was quite funny sometimes. Uh, like I think all fathers are funny; they just don't know it. Like sometimes we laugh at them all the time. Uh, my dad, when I was younger, he would buy uh, he would buy me books, but he preferred to buy joke books only because he can also read them. Fantastic. Yeah. So he so well. That's why I want to have kids so I can buy the toys for him. So yeah. I can, so I can play with them. It's like um one <coughs> like a book that serves two people for the price of one. I mean, like no, <laughs> no better deal than that. That's funny. Uh, my dad would say he would always make commentary when he was driving. Right. Like, I always thought it was hilarious, uh, and he wasn't trying to be. Well, maybe he was, but and then when my father died, you know, my father uh, was killed by a drunk driver in 2009 and I got to look through all of his stuff yeah. to see what I wanted to keep and uh, and yeah and it was beautiful like oh man these are he kept like pictures I drew when I was like 12 oh. and things from school and I'm you know opening boxes and I'm finding oh my god it's like a you know a, a, a poster from one of my first shows or like a flyer type of thing yeah. and then um, I found um my father's uh, <laughs> pornography collection. <laughs> so I guess that's a, you know, it's something you should think about when you have kids, and yeah. you know, you might want to if if your health starts going bad, you might want to get rid of the porn. <laughs> the porn first, right? Like get rid of that first. Yeah, I know. Like I've been uh, doing this show. Like people ask me, so so what do you, what kind of father do you think you're gonna be in the future? And uh, I was thinking to myself, and I said that uh, yeah, I guess. I guess uh, for me, I, I look at how my parents raised me and, and they kind of gave me, they were not happy with my choice in career. Like, I mean, being a comedian in a Chinese family, it's a big, it's a big what and a why. It's never <laughs> been done, right? Yeah, it's never been done. So, but they still allowed me to, to pursue it and try and, and eventually they, they, they liked it. Like, right, I mean, there was no comedy. I mean, like, Harith was the first... Yeah, comedian in the country. That, that's right. And he didn't start that long ago. Yeah. Nineteen ninety-one. He was telling me. So I mean, like, for Malaysians, the concept of somebody choosing to be a comedian for a career is like. Yeah, and um, and my parents came from like um, the time when uh, we just got independence. So you kind of have you kind of need jobs that that build a nation. Like you know, you've got to be someone like an architect, a lawyer, engineer, a doctor, and suddenly your son says, "I want to be a comedian," and they're like, "Why?" <laughs> like. What is a comedian? So I think um, the kind of father I'm going to be is I'm going to let my kid do whatever he wants. I mean, just because uh, I've been at that age before, so I know all your tips and tricks. So I'm going to challenge you to try to outsmart me. If I find out, I'm going to make it a joke. That's my challenge. That's perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> I just want to have a kid so I can make him laugh all the time. That's nice. I want to have the same relationship my dad had with me. My dad was... Funny. He took me to my first comedy show. My dad had comedy albums. Uh, did you th uh, do you think you're gonna in the future drive your kid and like just <laughs> just call out random things while you're driving? Like, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. You're like, oh, date cat. <laughs> and it's like I do it now. My wife laughs at me. You know, uh, step on the gas, fuck stick. That's <laughs> one of my favorites. Um, so, how do you think uh, growing up in Malaysia in Chinatown, um, you know, molded you as a as a performer? Um, <clears throat> growing, I mean, uh, I would think Chinatown alone, you would have so much to talk about. Yeah, I know. Uh, the three main races. And what do they have against selling uh, the original uh, goods? Why does it always have to be a copy of something? Yeah, because they can. <laughs> See, because they can. It's like, I can get you the same movie for a cheaper price. Why not? <clears throat> right? So, how uh, growing up uh, in Malaysia, my friends... Uh, uh, we have three main races here, like Chinese, Indian, Malay, and my friends were Chinese, Indian, Malay in school. And uh, one of the first indication that I got that, because uh, I was from a boys' school, right? So, your either you should be good in sports or academics, or, or basically, 
if you're not good at both, you better be funny. That's and humor was a currency in school, right? And the first indication I got uh, of how that I could be funny was um, there was a Hong Kong um, TV series called Forest Cat, and Forest Cat was about this this character who who suffered a bit of um he was a bit he was a bit retarded in a sense and in, in an endearing way and he was pudgy and he was short and when I was younger I looked like that so and this this series was so popular that my Indian friends my Malay friends would watch it as well even even though it's in Chinese and one day at school and they come to me and they say hey it's Forest Cat <laughs> and uh, and I just started impersonating Forest Cat and they start laughing and in a boys school after that you, you, where do you go next you start impersonating your friends your teachers and stuff and I put on sketches in school so that was how I found um, love for comedy in that sense and I, I don't so you knew you were funny because it, it, it was working <clears throat> I mean it was a currency and I was bad at sports and I was not the brightest student in school and I'm not talking stand-up comedy because uh, I do I have never ever heard of stand-up comedy until I performed it uh without realizing for the first time. Like back then there was this in, in school and uh, there was only this performing place called the Actors Studio Bangsar. And that was my small time dream. I want to perform there someday. And one day they had a-, a As a comedian? As a, as a, as a comedian. Or, so how, how did you get- No, not as a comedian. I just wanted to perform there. Okay. I, I like doing dramas and stuff like that. So I wanted to perform there. And one day they, had, they have uh, something called free flow, which is an uh, open mic night. And you pay 10 ringgit, you get 10 minutes on stage. So ten ringgit, it's about like three US dollars, right? Three. You get ten minutes on stage, and I immediately paid. And ten ringgit was my week's allowance. Or three, two, three USD was my week's allowance in school, and um, I paid. I went. I went there, and they said you have to do comedy. And I said, oh, that's fine. I can put on a sketch. And they said, no, no, this is stand-up comedy. So they gave you the idea to be a comedian. Yeah. They, they said they you're going to perform comedy. They, they said do stand-up comedy. I'm like, <clears throat> what is that? And they're like, it's a uh, one man telling jokes on stage. I was like, why? And like, I've never heard of this. So I, 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 and they put me on the last day. So I went and watched on the first two days. And I'm like, oh, really? These guys are just trying to make people laugh on stage. So I, 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 I had some material, or some for my sketches and stuff. I made them into a one-man show. Uh, and I performed them, hit and miss. But that was my first time doing stand-up comedy. Did you go on after someone told like a serious poem or a, no? No, they were a all performance piece. It or? was it was a, a stand-up comedy open mic. So everybody was trying <coughs> to be funny. So thankfully, I I, I I had some jokes. What were your first jokes about? It, it how old was, were you? I was um well I guess I was <coughs> seventeen or eighteen. Oh wow! Yeah, I started when I was seventeen. Great, oh, uh, cool. So I think one of my earliest jokes was um, differences between a Hong Kong show and a Bollywood show. So it was about how in Chinese shows, you must understand that um, whoever talks the least, lives the longest. Because in a Bollywood show, who can tell the longest grandmother's story? That guy is the hero. <laughs> and I'll do an impersonation of that and about how uh, in, in Chinese movies, it's compulsory. Every Chinese knows Kung Fu. But in the event that the Chinese do not know Kung Fu, he will always carry the magic police Hong Kong gun. And the magic police Hong Kong gun is magical because one gun with six bullets can fire 48 shots. So that those are some of the earliest jokes I have. And about, I think I did a comparison on, on uh, MTV Crips. I don't know if you know this show. MTV Crips, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, did yeah. A, I said, what if there was a Malaysian version of MTV Crips? And I, I described a really rundown house, a typical Malaysian house. And that was some of my earliest jokes. But I paid to perform. Like 10 ringgit, I paid 10 ringgit to perform. So did you go back to that place or...? Well, uh, after that, I made some friends. I, I lost a lot of friends. I made some friends because some friends were like, what are you doing? And, like, uh, and I made some friends. A few months later, there was a comedy competition organized by this bar in uh, some NKL. And my friends called me up and said, hey, Jenna, there's this competition. Why don't we all join? And I said, mm. I said, I don't want to. I don't even know what comedy is. I don't even know what sort of comedy was. And then he said, first, first place, 500 ringgit. And I was like, okay, let's do this. Because <laughs> was a lot of money for me. Uh, I, I joined. So um, the f my second show ever was in the preliminaries. I got to the finals. Uh, my third show was the finals. I won that show. I, I won the competition. And uh, the event organizer then came up to me and said, Jenhan, I'll give you an another 500 ringgit. You do what you do at my event. At that point, I, I honestly asked him, I, I, I said, you mean people do this as a job? And it's like, yeah, people do this as a job. I'm like, what 
what an amazing job. And that was, that was it. That's how I, I started. How long has it been since you had any job other than coming? All right. After um, he gave me two shows, uh, I bombed those two shows because I didn't, uh, I, I felt, and I felt horrible. The last show I did for him was like a, a young boy's wet dream because it was in a, it was in a club called Bed. It's a club called Bed, all female audience. Bed. Bed, yeah. All female audience. The problem was they did not speak a word of English. So I, I'm there trying to make them laugh and like no one laughs and they all like rather they rather gossip and like have a free drink and stuff like that. So I felt so bad. It was like three hundred girls just broke up with me at the same time, you know. What I mean? And I just thought to myself, no, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's too scary and it and it hurts too too much. So I went back to college and studied, did my degree, and two years later, uh, uh, I I did comedy again. But it was a funny story because I had a girlfriend there, and. And then, Actor Studio Bangsa, the first place I started uh, doing uh, my first show was closing down. And my friend had secured a, a slot there doing a, a, a skit. It was my college friends. And I was the only guy who knew the routine of that skit. And one of his members couldn't make it. And, and he was asking me, please, I know you don't want to perform anymore, but this is really important for us. And I, I was reluctant and I said, okay, let's do this. I performed. It wasn't stand-up comedy, but it was a skit. But having performed after so long, having not performed for so long, suddenly it felt like, oh my god, this feels, this feels good. And during that time, this friend of mine, his name is Chiho, and, and Chiho had, um, they, they had been going around doing comedy and stuff, and then they secured that time out, Comedy Thursday, where we met. So this was about maybe in, I think, the first year, one of the first few shows uh, in Little Havana, Time Out Comedy Thursday. And he says that, hey, you know what, there's this time out show and next week, and we have a show next week, and next week we finally get media attention, some, some stations are coming to film it and stuff, why don't you come and check it out? And I told him, like, I said, I can't do it anymore, I said, I'm too afraid, it scares me too much. And then he says, it's okay, I mean, you, if the, anytime, any, anytime you feel like you can do comedy again, you give me a call, 4am, 5am, you give me a call, I just want to know that the fire is still in there. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay. On the same day, I go back and my girlfriend uh, breaks up with me. And she says, I don't understand you. And I don't know what came over me, but I told her, watch me do comedy. Because when I do comedy, I am Kwa Jen Han, I'm not playing a character, that's me. Maybe you can understand me then. And she's like, well, okay, I'll find a friend. I called Chiho up and she was, I said, Chiho, next week I'm on. And she was like, whoa, come down, come down, come down. You know, you, you come and watch first. I mean, like, you, I said, no, Chiho, if you, if you don't let me perform next week, I don't know when I'm going to find the courage to, to do this again. And he says, okay, you're on. So he puts me on uh, in March 2009. <coughs> and my, my ex-girlfriend showed up with her ex. Oh. So can you imagine, like, the kind of, the fear I was facing at that show, like, I, I have not performed for about two to three years and I'm there with new material and my, my ex is there with her ex and uh, I did that show and uh, a comedy scene was very small then so I had performed three years ago right so from the, in that three years maybe about <coughs> two or three other comedians showed up and at that show because people heard that Jen Han was coming back to perform they all came. It was like a, like a reunion and stuff. You and had even, some fans. Yeah, I had, I had some friends and some... some uh, I mean, the, they were fans as well, I guess. And the event organizer who hired me three years ago, he came back and the judges who were judging, they, they heard about this and they came back and watched. And I was like, this feels, this feels good. And from the day onwards, I just didn't stop. And then that girl just fell off into meaningless land. No, no. I, I was hung up for a long time, for a long time. What a rotten girl. I mean, that's worse than heckling. For a girl to, to come and with her ex-boyfriend? Oh, I mean, God, like that's not going to affect your brain and your heart? I, uh, yeah, but... So that was when <coughs> I was uh, after that show, and it was a great show, and, and Time Out was like, oh my God, who is this guy? And I, we've never heard of him, and my friends were like, that's Jenna, and he's actually performed <coughs> before. But <coughs> the show was a good show, but I left the stage feeling sad, you know? And that was when I realized that, wow, I mean... It's it's people see um, the comedian on stage telling jokes and, and making you laugh and he's and he looks like someone who's fun, but no one really cares how he's like after he leaves the stage. The tears of I the I know, car right? <laughs> when no one's around. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it sounds like it was. Um, it sounds like it was a perfect cosmic alliance that this one place. Uh, performance stage closed at the same time the Time Out comedy started. Yeah. And my one of my best friends I made in Amsterdam when I lived in Amsterdam, 
And it's why I came to Kuala Lumpur in the first place. This guy, Sam Coleman. Sam Coleman, And he yeah. worked for Time Out Magazine. That's and why now, he came. Yeah. Now he's the editor of yeah. Esquire from Malaysia. And, and he's, he's done great. He's done great. And he's, uh, he's gotten me to write the human columns for Esquire. Are you doing? Oh, yeah, really? That's yeah. fantastic. So Sam has been a fan of yours uh, from the beginning of the Time Out comedy days because he got me to come over. Uh, he was telling me the comedy scene was great here. And I wanted to film this pilot for this comedy travel show idea. So I was Skyping and emailing with Sam about what comedians I should interview from my my little comedy movie on uh, on the Malaysian comedy scene. And you were one of the guys from the beginning. Really? That he said. He goes he goes wow. he goes uh, he goes, you gotta talk to Harith Iskander, Douglas Lim, uh, and and Jen and uh, Kua, Kua Jenin. Yeah. Wow, that's very nice. I yeah. mean, if Sam is listening to this, thank so you, that's, Sam. So I, I had no idea until you just told me you were writing the humor column. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so what's the what's the humor column about? Just anything they, you feel like writing about? Yeah, they give me the freedom to like write anything you want. You don't have to stick to the theme or the the issue of the magazine or the edition and stuff. Just write whatever you want, and that's cool. You got to be the coolest guy in Malaysia. You got your own ice cream. You got your own column and Esquire. Yeah, I always knew that comedy was uh, eventually make me cool, and now I have my own ice cream. That's that's awesome. I'm surprised you're not wearing an ascot. I'm <laughs> not. Not on uh, not on like Thursdays. Mostly just Fridays. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to say this other than bluntly. Um, you're a very handsome man. Oh, <laughs> and you're very funny, and your jokes are clean. I mean, I think you're probably going to end up being one of the hugest comedians in Malaysian comedy history, uh, but you must have women falling all over you. That is a myth. That's so not So you like you know being hung up on this girl, and no. like the last time I saw you, I was like, uh, oh my god, this guy must you know have women. No, oh, and the and the uh, there's beautiful women in Malaysia. Oh, that's not, that's okay. Yeah, there there are beautiful women in Malaysia, but being a clean comic or someone who who um, is like me. The girls don't like me. Their moms do. You know what I mean? Their moms. Why like, don't you go out with their moms? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had I've I've had two um after a show two um two ma- uh, aunties. They came up to me and like, why don't you marry my daughter? I was like, um, uh, well maybe I'll just sign you a poster first. We can talk about it later. But I've actually. Well, had, you never had women come up to you wanting to have sex with you just because they loved you on stage? Because uh, I've seen the audiences love you. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just I'm just that uh, I'm a bit of a blur person, so I don't I don't pick up this kind of science easily, and I'm I'm just very invested in the comedy. I just want to know. I rather ask them what do you think of the show than than to ask them what's your phone number. You know what I mean? That's just that's that's me being dumb, I guess. And they probably telling their friend, God, I was gonna have sex with that guy, and he just wanted to know what I thought of his new material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, with the yeah, I'm someone who I guess when I I I, I love passionately or I'm a very passionate person like, even when it comes to comedy or, or relationships like that ex-girlfriend of mine that kind of gave me the courage to go back on stage and perform I always even even uh, she's a good friend of mine now and the one that brought her ex-boyfriend yeah okay yeah because if it's not for her I wouldn't have found the courage to actually do comedy again oh, and right. guess what I said because I said I was hung <coughs> up uh, on her right and she moved to Australia and back then um, I was only performing there was only one open mic a month and I would make 200 ringgit right and I saved up for many months um, and I bought myself a ticket to Australia to try because I was where was she she was in Adelaide Adelaide's a a place in Australia that that's that looks like um, many years ago a a nuclear radiation like nuclear blast just went off and just old people are just left there now it's Mm -hmm. it's a very boring city so I, I went to Adelaide because I wasn't happy doing shows here every show I performed I was just sad I was like I wish she was here to watch so I thought to myself, this 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 is not right. I will go there. Either I come back with her or I come back with myself. And I went there and uh, she wasn't interested. So I then flew to. Melbourne. You flew there and then she didn't. She had no interest in you. She had no interest. She knew you were coming. She did not know. It was a surprise. You just showed up. I just wow. showed up. Wow! And then yeah. she was ice cold to you. Yeah, she was. Wow! Shit! That hurts even more than bringing the next boyfriend <laughs> to a show. And then uh, after that, I I flew to Melbourne. Since I was in Australia, I thought maybe I'll just go to Melbourne and have a look. And my friend, Hang Lee. I'm not sure if you know. Hang I know Hang Lee. Lee. Yeah. yeah, Hang Lee then uh, like messages me on Facebook and say, Hey, are you here for a, sh- for a, a holidays or for a gig? I'm like, I'm here for holidays. 
and, he, and he says, great, I got you a show tonight, meet me at this place. I'm like, what? And this was, this was probably like seven months after doing comedy. I think this was in, I, I started in March, this was in November. So um, he then says, meet me here. And I, I was panicking because I'm like, I've never had a show outside KL, you know. And I, I went there, it was called the Comics Lounge. And yeah, he I know got me, And he got me five <coughs> minutes there. And I performed. And, and you know how people say that, that the feeling of, uh, you are so afraid you need to pee. That feeling. I never knew it was a real feeling until I was there at the Comics Lounge because <laughs> I really needed to pee. And I performed and uh, it, was a, it was a great show. And after the show, I then realized that this was my first time in a comedy club. I've never ever seen a comedy club. And apparently it was the biggest comedy club in, in Melbourne. So I made some friends there. And to me, it's like if it wasn't for her again, I wouldn't have gotten this gig. Wow. Yeah, so there's always a silver lining, I guess. So this this, this terrible relationship. Has I know. Been great for your career. Yeah, but you, uh, but you know, you know, terrible relationships make great stories, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, have you had any other recent disasters that have improved your material? Uh, no, but um, the last relationship I had was well, this was a, uh, well, this this. How one, long did the, your last relationship? Uh, this, this this was only two months, but I had to get out because. I was starting to believe that um, she was um, she was probably mentally unsound in that sense because was she, she had, also um, a Chinese person from Malaysia. Uh, she was a, she was a Malay. A Malay. Yeah, and um, basically it was uh, it was many alternate realities, and I couldn't contact my friends because I was worried for their life. Like I called Harif. I said Harif, if if I don't make it back, here's my mom's <laughs> number. And Harif thought that I was, I was trying to prank him. So he then calls Douglas, my friend Douglas Lim, another comedian, and says, is Jenna trying to prank us? And Douglas is like, no, I haven't heard from him in a while. And they're trying to figure this out. And I'm like, dude, I told you not to anyone because I was actually concerned for your life. And he was like, dude, this is all not real. Like, you need to... What do you mean? Is this girl like sharpening knives when you're with her? Or? Oh, there was, there was many. There was like, my life was threatened. Uh, she was like, uh, there was espionage mission involved. There was um. There was she threatened your life? No, no. Other people were like, they're gonna kidnap. Like she says that people are coming to kidnap her. They might take me to or oh, and stuff like that. And there's a lot of things. There was there was um, and it was very tiring because it was to do with, with her health and her security, and it was very very difficult. And when I broke up with her, and I was already losing my mind. But the funny thing was, the only thing that was keeping me sane was comedy or the comedy angle I saw in the whole thing, because when I broke up with her and I, I wrote her an email. And I attached the song, um, Goodbye by Air Supply. You know that song? Uh-uh. Uh, you don't know that song? Okay, I, uh, it goes like, uh, You would never ask me why my heart was so disguised. It's Air Supply song. Okay, Goodbye. And the next day she says she wants to see me. And I said, oh, I said you can, but I'm not going to change my mind. And she says it doesn't matter. And she comes and see me. And then suddenly she has a panic attack. Like, she says she needs an inhaler. She can't breathe and stuff. So, and... In, in the whole um, craziness, there was a lot of things to do with her health as well. So I, I'm, as much as I did not know if this was real or not, I couldn't take the risk. I took her to the doctor and the doctor said, um, she's fine, she just needs to regulate her breath. And in my head, the only thing that was keeping me sane was that, oh my god, yesterday I sent her a song, Goodbye by Air Supply. Ironically, all she needed today was a supply of air. <laughs> I was like, hold on to that thought, hold on to that thought, because that's real, that's real. <laughs> that was the only thing that was keeping me sane. Have you gotten a lot of uh, jokes out of that relationship, or are you afraid that she's going to come? And I mean, uh, I've got funny um, stories about that, but I don't think uh, I can perform it yet. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm sure you know as a comedian, some, some things are just so close to the heart that you can't, or you're not ready to perform them yet. It took me like three years to, to kind of talk about my dad. Yeah, definitely. It certainly takes a long time before you can talk about things that really broke your heart. Yeah. That's for sure. So, um, are you, uh, that just recently ended? Yeah, recently ended. Wow. Uh, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, think, uh, I think she needs help. And I, I don't know. <laughs> um, wow. So, uh, at least usually with crazy women, the sex is fantastic. Well, that was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, usually crazy women are... Unbelievable in bed. That's the that's the crazy thing. It's the the smart, wonderful women are are oh, boring. Sometimes very <laughs> boring. <laughs> but I don't have enough experience. You know what I mean? 
Well, what? Uh, how do you envision? Uh, you know, what do you, what do you see yourself doing now? I mean, it seems like you got the world by the balls. Well, I I don't know. I hope um, I hope to actually try try to get more shows um, outside Malaysia. If yeah, I can. was that was that Melbourne show? Was that the only show you've ever done outside of Malaysia? Yeah, I've done Singapore as well, Singapore shows. Uh, but yeah, the Australia gig with Harith and Douglas uh, that was last year. Oh right, you did the comedy festival. Yeah. Oh my God, that Melbourne festival is one of the biggest ones in the world. How was that? That was awesome. Uh, in in but we went there and it was called <coughs> the best of Malaysia. And in Melbourne, there's like tons of Malaysians there. By the time we got to Melbourne, 80% of the audience was, was Malaysians anyway. So people who have um, lived in Malaysia or people who were from Malaysia. And it was in the town hall, the Melbourne town hall. Yeah, I played there when I did. Yeah. That's a wonderful place. Wonderful place. And I was a big Beatles fan, right? And the producer, his name is uh, Toby, Toby Sullivan. And Toby, Toby knew that I was a big Beatles fan. He took me to the Beatles room. And, it, and basically, that's where the Beatles were when they visited Melbourne. They went. They went to the town hall. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the story is that um, before the before the, the U.S. tour, this this uh, Melbourne producer booked them a year and a year and a half ahead when they were still in Liverpool, and then um, they had a contract and it was a small room. But in that one and a half year, they had became worldwide like worldwide sensation, and they still honored the contract. They showed up in a small room. And there was a picture, uh, and they went out to the balcony. Oh, they played this little yeah. small room at the town. Yeah, oh, and wow. there's, there's, a, there's a picture of them at the balcony, and the whole street is just filled with people. And they allowed me to be on that balcony. That was cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what was the Beatles' first record label they were with? Um, uh, I don't know. Do I forget, know? but I heard a story recently that John Lennon was the reason that the record label got softer toilet paper in the entire offices of the record label because he kept complaining that the the toilet paper was too rough. Oh. And so because the Beatles were were you know getting so popular and yeah. powerful that um, they got soft toilet paper uh, in this entire company. Oh, and amazing. if you think about it, the first three Beatles records are a little ang angrier yeah. uh, than the ones. <laughs> But John Lennon doesn't have his own ice cream, I'm assuming. No, he never did. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going to do next. Koa Jenan soft toilet paper. That's what I'm going to do. And then there'll be an imitation sold in Chinatown. Yeah, probably. I love it. Yeah. What are your favorite things about Malaysia? What, what are you most proud of? Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, people here, are, they, they are quite open to new things in the sense that they, they always... They're hungry. They're hungry for for new interests and stuff like that. Like even because comedy is new, right? And we there's always this fear that uh, but the bubble will burst. Like when will they get sick or when will they like we want something newer? But they, when they like something, they like something. And I think that's what I like about Malaysians, I guess. Um, are there any interesting facts or um, trivia things about Malaysia you can? Uh, tantalize the listener with? Alright, oh, okay. When I was in Australia, yeah. uh, most Australians, they only recognize two things about Malaysia. The Twin Towers and the sodomy case. A sodomy case? A sodomy oh, yeah, case. Oh, the political guy. Yeah. Yeah, what was that story? Because that was uh, many years ago, um, the Prime Minister actually threw the Deputy Prime Minister in jail for sodomy. So that was a big deal. And then, and I think last year, there was a sodomy 2 case. Like he, it, now, now the, and there's, a pro there's a problem, and I think it's only in the United States, where sodomy is considered oral sex and anal sex. Oh. But I think uh, in the rest of the world, sodomy is just anal sex. Yeah, right. I think so. Okay, so the guy was thrown in jail for anal sex. Yeah. Well, so this was... And this was not just a guy. This guy was the deputy prime minister. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it, uh, was it true? Was it just a political chess move? Well, I, uh, I mean... And what happened to the story? Then he, I think he was in jail for a while. He came back and he and uh, we just had our elections, our general elections, and he was running um, for the opposition. Um, he, he the deputy the, prime minister in this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he well. came back and he. So he got out of jail. He got out of jail and he was. There was a lot of people um, behind him. I mean, in in a in a nice way. <laughs> and then uh, there was a sodomy two case. I think there was a, almost a sodomy three case. Like Malaysians, we just love um, this. Our, uh, it's a strange country because our politicians have like uh, one of their ammunition for fighting against the other person is, is sex videos. 
sex videos. Like, yeah, they, sex videos. Like if they find it or that you can just accuse someone. You can just accuse someone. Um, there were cases where they kind of get a body double to kind of be in a hotel room having sex and it was film and it was grainy and stuff, but they accused that it was the other person. Stuff like that, yeah. To ruin someone's political career. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, in a country like Malaysia, right? Where sex is so taboo. Right, 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 yeah. right. Um, the thing I love about Malaysia is, um, you know, you, you got the three main uh, ethnic groups. Yeah. And I love the one Malaysia attitude. We're all together yeah. and, uh, you know, we're one Malaysia. And I, th I think that um, that attitude should be emulated by the rest of the world. Yeah, that's but, cool. But, I mean, uh, the problem that I think or, or I have or is that we didn't we didn't need that one Malaysia slogan. Like we were already united from before, but have, but when you put a slogan there, you're just telling people that there are people who are not united. So that's that's not very healthy. You know? Oh, that's interesting the way you look at it because the way I look at it as a foreigner yeah. is you know it's a it's a Muslim country, yeah. and then you got all these you know Indians and Chinese people that live here, yeah. and that it's you know um, it's working. It is, but. Um, do you do, do you know that in Malaysia we have two sets of law? That that's the normal law, and there's also the the, 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 is the Muslim law. The Sharia law. Yeah, for, Sharia for the law. Muslims, yeah. yeah. So that's it's a strange, it's a bit strange, uh, because we we are a country that is governed by two different laws, and and it is uh, and we we are not exactly a, a in in its entirety a Muslim country. At the same time, we are not not a Muslim country. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bit, sometimes a bit difficult to find a balance. Well, what are the best and worst things about that system? The, well, um, when, when you basically, uh, Malay, Malay people or Muslim people, they, they can't even, uh, in some states here, it is so strict that they can't even be seen with the opposite sex in public unless you are married. And, and this, uh, for me, how, how it kind of affects what I do is when it comes to movies or series or anything on, on TV if it's, it has gotten so strict that some if you're not married you can't touch each other on TV like basically you cannot shake hand with, with this this girl because you're not married Wow yeah so that's that's a strange <coughs> thing. well staying at this uh, there's a lot of um, very I don't know what the um, uh, like very seriously religious Muslim people staying at this hotel and you see the women in the lobby with the black yeah the, uh, the, the full black with just a little slit yeah thing and you know outside it's in the 90s it's so yeah. hot I mean okay yeah. so you could still have the little full okay. thing but why not like a lighter color so the uh, yeah. so the, the sun isn't so strong that that um, those are probably Middle Eastern people who are visiting yeah, here. who are visiting and, and they have a lot um, they have different sets of rules and it's it's more extremist in Malaysia it's, it's okay it's a uh, for if you're visiting Malaysia if you're if you're here as a foreigner as a tourist it's it's a beautiful country but it's just that because we grew up here and we are more aware of these things that we can find these small small things that sometimes seem strange to us well I remember the the last time I came here uh, I went with my friend Sam to Langkawi, which is yeah. like the Hawaii yeah. of Malaysia. And the, you could see the Muslim women uh, going out into the water. They weren't swimming, but they would go out into the ocean, and they had pants on and long sleeve shirts on. They, they, yeah. were, they were fully dressed. And then on the same beach, you see European women with their tits out and their, <laughs> their you know, bikinis and a little yeah. string up their butt. And, um, you know... Can't we find like a, a, a middle ground? I don't know for everybody. Do you, do you, something right between there. Some, but uh, trust. Uh, I mean, we, we we don't in Malaysia. Sometimes we don't even want to solve the problem. What we do is we try to make money out of it. So there are people who actually have made uh, swim swimsuits that look like everyday wear, like basically with with the the tudong tudong is uh, something that that covers your your hair and stuff. These are and these are like proper like swim gear. It's like diving suit, but not really diving suit. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and people buy them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what is the What's the most important thing you think the rest of the world should know about Malaysia? Um, I think uh, they should come here because, really, I mean, 
our shopping malls like here are crazy. Like I think one of one of uh, we have one shopping mall that's the fourth biggest in the world, and we have a lot of shopping malls here, and they close at ten. Like every, every everywhere else, like when I was in Australia, it was so. For us, it was like what what's there to do at night? Like restaurants are closed, your malls are closed, but in Malaysia, it's anytime you want to buy something, you can buy it. Just go to Chinatown, you can buy it for cheaper. So I think that's a that's a cool thing about Malaysia and the people here. We are just very friendly to foreigners. We we kind of want to impress you in some ways. It's just it's strange. I love it here, and the people are really wonderful. You know, yeah. I've never had any. I've never felt uncomfortable here. Yeah, they would try to help you. They would try to help you even if they if, even if, even if they can't. They just we just will. What is uh, the most important thing you can tell me about Chinatown and the Chinese community in Malaysia? The Chinese community in Malaysia, the, the <coughs> typical stereotype is that we are the people who uh, who all we care about is business, like money first, money first, business, business. Right? Aren't the Chinese <laughs> considered like the Jews of Asia? <laughs> You've heard that expression, uh, right? Well, I, right, you've heard no, that expression. I've, I've not. I've you not actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I've heard that in different parts of oh. the, the Chinese. Have, they've got all the shops. They've got the money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, what, do you, what do you know about Chinatown people? I guess um, Chinatown is it's just a place where you can really buy anything you want. <laughs> anything, even things that you're not supposed to buy. You can buy them there. Like what? Fireworks. It's illegal here. Fireworks. It's uh, or pirated DVDs and stuff like that. That's that's the backbone of Chinatown. The pirate DVDs. Yeah, yeah. And we have like sales. Like Chinese people are known to like they always they always trying to sell something. You can I I think only in Malaysia you can be at a restaurant sitting and a Chinese man will come up to you try to sell you stuff like socks and car wipers. While you're sitting in a restaurant. Yeah, and I don't mean like. Separately, they, they they will have socks, car wipers, <laughs> at the same time. I ask you, but you need these things? Yeah, we we just we can sell anything anytime. Uh, how do you see yourself in the future? Do you have, what 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 are your biggest wildest dreams? What do you think? Wow, the world holds for for, wow, okay, Malaysia, for Jen and King of Ice Cream. <laughs> Malaysia has never seen a, a stadium gig before, like by a Malaysian person. And that's like Russell Peters level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like big stadium shows. I think that is something uh, every comedian would probably dream of uh, one day. I would also like to probably have um, a, a late night talk show for Malaysian TV. I'm hoping that, I mean, I'm hoping that uh, eventually because of the internet and, and YouTube sensations and stuff, that people here are also wanting English, uh, English material, English based um, shows. So I'm hoping that that will work. I'm also looking at a, at a radio show, and it's a it's a it's an interesting concept that I'm trying to have where I have questions, you give me the answer as opposed to you asking the DJ questions and he tell you what to do. I have questions, you give me the answer. On the radio show. Yeah, on the radio show. Oh, that's brilliant. And if I can if I can uh, th- uh, skew it to a relationship angle where it's like I'm bad at relationships, what are your suggestions? What are your advice? And if there is a goal, let's say like if I have um um. Eight episodes, and by the eight episode, I would probably the challenge is that I must go on one date or like two dates, and we'll see what happens. And I think that would be a cool concept to have. Who wants to be Mrs. Gravy? Yeah, who wants to, <laughs> who wants to have my gravy? <laughs> um, what is the greatest advice you've been given for comedy? Oh, the greatest advice was right after right after that um, the closing of Actor Studio Bangsa. One of the judge um, who judged me a few years ago at the competition, his name is Indi Nadaraja. He's a, he's, he's a veteran thespian in Malaysia and stuff, and he was a judge. <coughs> and he saw me perform my friend's kid, and he, and he recognized me, and he called me aside, and he said, what happened to you? I remember you. You were the boy who won at the com- comedy competition. And I said, Indi, I'm just too afraid to do it. I doubt myself too much. I don't think I can ever do this again. And then he said, you should... And this is the best advice I've been given. He said... Jenna, you should be happy you can doubt yourself because when you doubt yourself, that's when you know you are real. And when you know you are real, that's when the audience can, audience can see that you are real because the worst thing that can happen for a comedian is overconfidence. That's what you told me. Wow, that's brilliant and very true. Yeah. yeah. So that's something I, I will always remember and I will always um, think of it as the best advice.
Wow. And Don't of course, get too confident. Yeah, and of course, the next, um, the next advice or the second best advice that I've been given is from Douglas Lim before I opened for him. And he says, um, don't fuck up my show. That's, that's, probably, <laughs> that's, that's probably the best, second best advice. Well, Jenna, it's great seeing you again, buddy. Yeah, and thanks, uh, I really look forward to, to watching your star rise and everything that's going to happen to you in the years to come. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. In closing, do you have any words of wisdom uh, or advice for the people of the world? Uh, no, I mean, hi, people of the world. Thank you for making this podcast on the top 25 <laughs> and the top 100 in the, in the whole podcast world. Um, keep listening and, uh, I don't know, come to Malaysia and uh, check out the comedy scene, I guess. Cool, man. I want yeah. you to come to the States. I think you're going to do really well oh, in I the would, States. I would love eventually. To. Yeah. And, and you told me about a place that serves good fish tacos. Yeah, yeah, I know. Do they still serve? Oh, they're still there, yeah. Okay, when I get there, that's the first thing I'm going to eat. I'm taking you for fish tacos once you get to California. Okay. All right, brother. Respect. Thank you.